nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Blancas podcast. I'm your host, Omarvin, and as always, I'm joined by Grant Little. We weren't with you last week as Real Madrid's 8-1 demolition of Espanol wasn't televised, but we are with you today because it is El Darby Madrileño, and unfortunately, Real Madrid Femenino lost 1-0 to Atletico Madrid. It was a tough game, a tough game to watch. All said and done, it was actually rather an even contest in terms of chance creation, but as I'm sure we'll talk about, our ability on the ball made it difficult for for me to come away from this and say that we performed particularly well. So, yeah, I mean, let's start with the lineup selection because it was the center and focus of a lot of discussion as it often always is. Grant, what were your initial thoughts when you saw... Osnar's selected lineup. Yeah, so Im- immediately I was irritated. And that in irritation is probably a strand that I'm going to talk about throughout this entire podcast. You know, I talked about this after the Levante game when I went solo. And I was just like, in big games, Tysa can't start. We saw her get subbed off. I think it was at halftime against Levante, and immediately we were better. And when we saw her in the starting lineup today, I was like, is she going to just come off at halftime again? I, I don't understand what she adds in this circumstance, but we can get to that. Another question I had was, is Peter fully healthy? She's been out for three weeks. We didn't. Real Madrid posted some videos of training sessions, and I don't think she was in the training sessions until about two days ago, unless they were specifically hiding something. Furthermore, I think Claudio Florentino has been really good, especially you know in her press resistance. And I understand that she gave away a easy goal against Espanol when we were when I when it was a three zero, I think. But these things happen. I don't think that's enough to make it so that she shouldn't start in this game. And then I had questions on whether Cardona was fully healthy. Hopefully she is, and hopefully um, they didn't just force her into the game, and we'll see that she has a knock later. Hopefully she was fully healthy. But there, there are a lot, of, a lot of questions in this. I think there could have been a case for Olga to start instead of Corradera as well. Um, but... Overall, the big talking point, I think, for me was Tysa starting in the midfield. I don't know if that's how you felt as well, but um, we've we've kind of had these conversations about Teresa and Tysa over and over again, so I'm sure you can expand on how you felt about that as well, too. It seems that anytime Osnar faces a side that he fears offensively, it's just his immediate instinct to just put more defensive talent, more physical talent, I guess, in midfield. 
And ironically, it hurts us defensively because we have no outlet on the ball. So what it does is it just keeps giving more possessions to the opposition and they can apply more pressure against us, right? So we've seen it numerous times. We've seen a Taisa Kasi double pivot. We've seen the three in midfield that we that we saw today with Maite Rose in the single pivot and then with Kasi and Taisa ahead of her. And it just never seemed to work the way Osnar had wanted it to, which is why either at halftime, like you mentioned, or early in the second half, Taisa always comes off, right? Or, or Teresa comes on to change things up and give Ramadan more control of the ball. And you think at this point, given the sample size that we have, given the fact that Osnar has had to make this change early on, that he'd learn from it? I don't know. Maybe he's okay with it. Maybe the way he sees it is it gives Real Madrid a clean sheet and a half, and then to him the risk is minimized or whatever to go for the win you know, for, for only 45 minutes. That, that may be the reason for why he continues to do it, but I think at this point especially when you know the opposition is going to press. And we'll talk about this larger issue, which I think defined our on-ball game. But when you know the opposition is going to press, I think at this point, it's just non-negotiable that both Maite Rose and Teresa Aviera have to be on the pitch. Yeah, 100%. Um, But do you think, like, maybe this is just an Osnar thing. Do you think that Taisa is, like, extremely like better defensively than Teresa. I haven't seen anything from Teresa that makes it look like she's weak defensively or anything from Tysa that makes it seem like she's so much more defensively in that midfield that she needs to be starting in these kind of games. Yeah, that's another thing is that we have a tendency anytime you kind of have a technical central midfielder to just kind of assume they're not strong defensively. Teresa is a physical player. She's even, you know, in, in one of our previous matches, I can't remember when, led to us scoring a goal from a lone counter-pressing action up the field. A really tough tackle, by the way. It was fair, but the other player ended up going off injured. She's a physical player. From what I've seen, she's pretty solid defensively. I don't think she can be a defensive linchpin of a side, but especially when you have Aureli Kasi playing next to you, I don't think you need to be a defensive linchpin. I think you just need to be competent defensively in your area. And I, I agree with you. I do, from what I've seen so far, I think Teresa is. And I do believe Teresa is a little bit better, but I don't think the difference is so vast that you look at the downgrade and on-ball quality and think, well, that is totally worth it to have a minor upgrade defensively. To me, it doesn't make sense. So I agree with you there. In terms of the other lineup selections, I think Cora there is a little more defensible because she is better on the ball. But I think when you see how she struggled, you you think, okay, we, we put Olga Carmona on at left back and, and maybe in the future we consider making her the starting left back. I do think there's a bigger defensive difference there. But when you're defending in a deep block, maybe not so much. Like the thing with Carmona is maybe she leaves space in behind because she bombs up, but when Atleti have most of the ball and it's a deep block, I'm not sure, again, how, how big the difference is and whether that's worth the, the decrease in on-ball quality. So, yeah, I mean, those are kind of the two for me. I wasn't surprised to see Cardona start. I think not including her in the squad last game was more of just a precaution because, you know, the news from Arancha Rodriguez was that her coming off 
versus Levante was really just a slight knock. It wasn't a serious injury. She looked fine today to me. In fact, she was getting into a lot of challenges. She was really good defensively, even though she couldn't get much going on the other end because she wasn't getting the ball that much. So yeah, those were kind of the two main questions for me, but mainly the midfield where it just seems to me like we're just not learning. And if after this game, we continue this moving forward, I'm not sure what to say because I think the lessons are clear about what this midfield does for us against pressing, but also if the other team's not pressing, I'm not sure how, how it necessarily helps us. I think Taisa and Kasi are too similar. I think it has to be one or the other. And I think Maite Rose and Teresa Vieira need to be basically starting every single game. So those are my thoughts on the lineup selection. Let's get into the game itself and discuss how it went down. So it actually started fairly positively for Real Madrid. First, second minute, Real Madrid get a corner. And you think, wow, we, you know, we might be able to get in the final third a fair bit. And then we basically have nothing except for a handball shout around the 42nd minute in Atleti's box and Atletico have all the possession and we can't get out of our own half. So what happened there? I mean, obviously we talk about this time and time again. It's that high pressure that really kind of limits this midfield and makes it kind of ineffective when we don't have a system to combat this pressure or any way to play out and something interesting that I saw was it seemed that with their pressure they wanted to force us all with Misa to if she's going to play out the back to Peter who almost always played it to Corradera and Corradera just basically hit it aimlessly forward you know we've talked so much about Ivana Andres and Kenty Robles's ability under pressure their ability in tight spaces on the ball and Atleti decided that we're just not going to allow you to get the ball to them. And because of that, we didn't see Ivana taking the ball forward as much. We didn't see her playing those penetrative passes that can sometimes help us bypass pressure. And it really turned into a lot of turnovers from Corradera and Peter because they didn't have many options and they also don't, necessarily have the skill set in the position that they're at to really break out of that pressure and find gaps in the defense. For me, that was one of the biggest problems. And, and they also kind of did that, that thing where you drop a striker to kind of help deal with Mike Aros dropping deep. And this is where a lot of the problems in buildup stemmed, in my opinion. So Atletico Madrid pulling off a pretty classic 4-4-2 wing-oriented high press. As you mentioned, far side striker coming over once the opposition plays the ball wide so that you can kind of shadow the dropping defensive midfielder, in this case Mike Deodos, while also cutting off access to the far side center back. So basically hemming the opposition into the wing. And once they play wide, the near side striker mostly Castellanos in this case, because as Grant mentioned, we were mainly playing down our left. She would really pressure Corradera. San Pedro would, or sorry, Castellanos would mainly uh, pressure Babit Peter. San Pedro would be on Corradera quite a bit. And then Silvia in central midfield would come over whenever Taisa gravitated towards the wing to offer an option to progress, while Lea Alexandri 
was all over Sophia Jakobsen, right? Like to ensure she couldn't receive defeat. And then one of the center backs stepping up to follow Aslani if she was to offer as a vertical option to break the press. So it's really kind of simple, this type of pressing. It almost like seems too simple to kind of explain it the way I did. Like it just seems like anyone would press this way, but it's really effective. Tons of teams do it. The Atletico Madrid men's side, God knows, have done it plenty of times. And if you drill it well enough, as Atleti did, everyone arriving at the same time, everyone recognizing pressing triggers and applying with full intensity, full cohesiveness, it's hard to break. And you also need to be well organized on the ball with clear ideas of what you're going to do as well, because you don't have more than two touches, right? After your first touch, you already need to be looking up and you need to make a decision about where you're going to pass. And then that change just needs to keep happening if you're, you're to play your way through that press. And needless to say, that was not happening down our left-hand side, right? Like Coradera and Tysa especially were just eaten alive on the ball. Coradera kind of just receiving, dawdling on possession, not sure where to play it. Tysa kind of coming over. And even if she received in space and turned, she didn't have a clear idea of what she was going to do. And suddenly Sylvia was all over her. And that kind of dynamic essentially defined the entire first half and really most of the game until about the 80th minute when Atleti kind of dialed off their press, whether they were because they were tired or because they figured, all right, it's just time to go into a deep block, minimize risk and secure the one nil win. And this makes it kind of an easy game to analyze, really, because there wasn't a whole lot going on in terms of different tactical shifts throughout the game. It was really just one dynamic dominating the flow, which was Atletico Madrid's high press and Real Madrid's inability to deal with it. And I don't know how much I can actually say about this because I've talked about Real Madrid's press resistance issues so often. Yes, our left-hand side was weak, right? Claudio Florentino is a ball-playing upgrade at center-back. Ola Carmona is a ball-playing upgrade at left-back. Teresa Abiera is a ball-playing upgrade at left-central midfield, but it's clear, and we'll get to this because it didn't really improve when the when Celsities came on, but it's clear that there's been a collective issue since day one in building up out of the press. And, you know, I'm only going to say this once on the podcast because I've said it so many times, but if the opposition basically doesn't leave our, you know, dropping defensive midfielder unmarked because that's how he creates natural superiority in terms of like creating a back three, right? In position. If that player is not unmarked, we have no other way to generate any kind of superiority or clean possession flow through the press. Just nothing, right? Whether that's through quick combinations, ball movement, whether that's through player movement, dragging players out of position, whether that's through a clear idea of, you know, everyone knows where everyone else is and it facilitates like easy passing options. So structural superiority, and then we can switch to the far side and move from there. There's just none of that. And I've talked about this endlessly. You can check literally any of the other pass pods. It's been an issue really in most games because most teams have found a way to press us and it's caused us trouble even in the games we've won. And we saw that t- today against a side that's maybe pressed us better than in any other game this season. And it's, it shouldn't be a surprise. Atletico Madrid, this is what they do. From that 4-4-2, we should be able to scout it and know what's coming. Now, that doesn't necessarily make it easy to deal with, but the fact that we didn't seem to have any solution whatsoever, right, from a collective perspective, 
was problematic. Also, in terms of Atletico forcing us to the left side, I guess that was something that was happening and, and something that they maybe intended to exploit once they saw a difference in ball playing quality from left to right. But when we were building up from gold kicks, Ivana Andres was there, right? Like, we could have played the ball to her in at least, you know, a couple occasions, if we don't want to say every one. And for whatever reason, Misa just kept deciding to play to the left. It did change a little bit in the second half. So maybe Osnar saw that and he was like, hey, maybe let's change it around a little bit. But that was just another odd thing to me. It's it's like all those tactical problems, but just the in-game recognition from players of how to manipulate the opposition defensive structure is lacking. And that really just comes from enhancing that and training it you know, in certain drills on the training pitch to get players comfortable f- with looking for solutions. And what we see right now is a Real Madrid in their own half that don't, that don't look like they're primed or trained to look for solutions at just rapid speed and more just kind of rely on individual chains of actions to move the ball up the field, right? So you play it into the left back, up to the winger who dribbles someone. Maybe Aslani receives, you play it out wide, Cardona beats five players, puts it into the box, right? So that's an issue for me, right? Like in terms of this, you know, in-game recognition and, and tactical intelligence, like again, this kind of thing where Kenti Robles comes all the way inside when the ball's on the left-hand side, so we have no option to switch, Things that I thought maybe versus Levante looked a little better. Not seeing, we didn't see it today though. To be fair, we didn't see that many options for us to move side to side because as soon as the ball went to one wing, we lost it. So, I mean, Grant, do you have more to say about that before we move on? Yeah, I think first off, you know, you have to tip your cap to the the pressing scheme that Atleti had. They are a top quality team. But it is disappointing that over and over and over again, we don't see anything tactically change, whether it's in-game. And I mean, we'll talk about the substitutions that kind of were forced on Osnar in a way, or, you know, leading up, like we've had this problem over and over again, and you really expect a coach at the top level, especially of a team like Real Madrid, to be able to adjust to that. As for the looking to solu- for solutions thing, I think that has been an issue. I think that issue is heightened today because of the press of Atleti. Like they, like we said, they, they're a very, very good team. And also I think it is kind of important to remember that this is a pretty new team with nine new players. I think that these players have the quality to do that. And as we see them kind of mature as a team throughout this season and maybe into more seasons as we like look down the line, we'll see that ability to recognize and play out of trouble enhanced as more chemistry and everything comes. That being said, they should have built some of this already and should be able to figure this out. Like even as players, you would kind of expect them to be able to talk, even if they don't have, you know, faith in Asnar. And I'm not saying that they don't, but they'll be like, hey, this is an issue. How are we going to get through this? Whether it's at halftime, whether it's in training, like over and over and over again, we have this issue. And I don't know if they're blinded by results, but you know, we have we have to be able to win these games at some point. And we need to figure out how to be able to build through 
a coherent press. We can't just be crippled by it for 90 minutes. So if you're interested in more thoughts about pressing versus our buildup and you don't want to go through every single podcast to kind of like piece it all together, I will hopefully today at some time be putting together some kind of analysis video on Twitter of Atletico's press versus us and some of the issues we had. So just watch out for that. Now, the funny thing about all of this is as much as Atleti dominated with their press and was able to retain possession and continue to apply pressure on us, as much as we were atrocious on the ball, it was a fairly even game chance creation wise. Like if XG came up, I'm fairly certain it's like, I don't know, 0.37 Atleti, like 0.1 us. There weren't a lot of chances going either way. Well, okay, the XG for Atleti will probably be higher because of the uh, goal they scored on from the corner kick, but that was really their only real chance of the game. And that was actually a positive for Real Madrid. And one thing I have seen improvement on from the tactical side is our defensive organization in a mid-block, which I wasn't convinced by with Takan last season. I wasn't super convinced with to start the season, but today it was pretty good and maybe our best defensive performance of the season, which is going to be overshadowed by the fact that we're so bad on the ball. And I think it speaks to like when you get Aslani motivated or you actually instruct her to press, she can because she does it with the Swedish national team all the time. And when I say press, we weren't high pressing or anything, but just in our own half, Aslani stepping up on the ball side center back while Kasi, who is stepping up alongside Aslani, kind of shadowing the near side central midfielder who dropped usually Sylvia. So Atletico Madrid mostly building down their right-hand side. And that did make things just a tad more difficult for Atletico Madrid to cleanly progress into the final third, right? There was always that kind of like, you know, those two players to deal with and building out from the back. So you saw, you know, some early moments where the center back would try to dribble up field, maybe lost the ball, like trying to figure out how do you shed these two players and eventually what we saw was Sylvia moving really wide right into the half space, almost becoming like a right center back in possession to kind of get rid of Aslani, get rid of Kasi and have some cleaner progression, which they did end up getting. The issue was, is they didn't have a way to convert it into real chances. And I think our wing defense was really good. So core there, a bat on the ball. I think pretty solid defensively. Jakobsen and Cardona did immense jobs to track the fullback, especially Cardona. As we, as I mentioned earlier, didn't get much going on the offensive end, but was just all over the place defensively in a good way. And really demonstrating some epic work rate for, you know, I, I guess for a player who's been our best offensive star this season, you know, you can see other other people, you know, being like, that's above me. And it wasn't for her today. She she was fully into it, fully committed. And so it was good commitment from everyone and just good organization that we were extremely compact. We were committed to the fact that we were going to defend in a deeper block. I thought the entire midfield, you know, central midfield was good. And then our, our central defenders were good. Bobby Peter was good. Ivana Andres was good. And anytime, you know, Atleti tried to, kind of like get within 20 yards of our box to, to, to create a deep completion. It was just difficult. And, you know, the few times they crossed Ivana Andres, Bobby, Peter were there. I thought Kenti also was good defensively. She's been suspect at times in terms of, 
you know, letting people cut inside her one versus one, but really the, the shots that tested Misa the most was an early long shot from Dugan, which was well-placed, but it was a low, low chance effort. Misa saves it. And then a deflected shot in, in the second half, which Misa also did really well. And there just wasn't that much. So that's kind of like Atletico Madrid's offense from the open play side of things and Real Madrid's defense. Grant, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think for the most part, I agree with you there. I think that um, Peter did struggle a little more than everybody else defensively dealing with Ludmila, especially her pace. I mean, there was this one time where Ludmila kind of gets through and Peter goes to shield her and Ludmila just completely turns or goes around her in the box. There was another time where she was in behind and Peter put in that challenge where she got carded and honestly I thought it could have been a red card I thought that Ivana Andres was not behind Peter in that situation and therefore Peter would have been the last defender so I think she struggled a little more than the other defenders but overall as a unit as a team I thought we defended really well like you said other than that one set piece opportunity they didn't have a lot of clear-cut chances, if any at all. Let's discuss the set-piece opportunity now because we can say all about how well we did, blah, 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 but football is a low-event game. You make one mistake, and it can cost you, as it did today. So what happened on the set-piece, man? What, what, what went wrong? Yeah, so it was, it was a really early set-piece, which is always kind of, you know, a little a bogeyman of sorts because – it's right when the game starts and you can kind of have those switch offs more easily. And I don't know if this was necessarily a switch off or some bad luck or what happened, but the corner comes in and Ivana Andres is kind of running back towards her goal to try and intercept the ball. She doesn't get to it because it takes kind of an odd bounce and she's stretching. And I don't think you can, blame this solely on the fact that she didn't get the ball. Obviously the chance wouldn't have happened if she got the ball, but it would have been very, very difficult for her to get the ball. So the ball comes to, I believe it was Alexandri in the box. And I thought Aslani did a pretty good job to stay really tight to the Atleti player and put in a decent challenge Unfortunately, that ball bounced up off Alexandri off her hand and lands perfectly in the path of Van Dongen, who really calmly finishes it, side and flips it into the back of the net, giving Misa no chance at all. Obviously, then we'll get into the controversy of everyone putting their hands up and claiming that it was a handball. And I thought it was a pretty clear handball, but you know, it didn't get called and we weren't able to respond and get one back i will say that i disagree about aslani i i mean i pretty much agree about ivana andres like she she kind of gambled she kind of went for it she missed that was the first error but i wouldn't say it like decided the entire play i do think aslani could have done a lot better challenge for that ball to me her her attempts to get it were kind of weak really in that moment everything kind of depends on her in getting her body in the way to block it, making a firm challenge. And I just thought 
it was just a little timid, which isn't a surprise to me. She's a center forward. You know, it's funny that despite all the good defensive work she did today, in my opinion, that was the biggest mis- defensive mistake came from her. And yeah, I think it pretty clearly went off her hand, but in my opinion, just meek resistance from Aslani allows that ball to get through, gives Alexandria the time to like attempt to control it. And then once it gets to Van Dongen, Misa has no chance. So, I mean, I don't know if you have a response to that. But no, that's just no the- I think that's fair. I think, you know, when I said it was a, a decent challenge, I'm thinking of Aslani as a forward trying to put a challenge in, in the box. You know, if if Ivana Andres or Peter make that challenge, we're we're probably criticizing them. So I think that is a fair assessment. And I mean, they could have scored from more set pieces. I think I talked about it on the Levante podcast. I think our set piece defending for the past few games has been pretty lackluster. And today was the same. I mean, other than when Ludmila was running in space, the most scared I was that Atleti were going to score the entire game was whenever they want a set piece because you know, the ball was bouncing around the box. We couldn't clear it first time. Some of the times we weren't running second balls. I think um, that's something that we really need to improve on going forward into the next game, even let alone throughout the rest of the season, because we can't be giving up cheap goals off set pieces. If we're going to defend it, like it's just terrible that we defend well the entire game and it's one set piece that kind of is our undoing. We need to be able to see those games out, keep those clean sheets and not let set pieces be the one thing that undoes it all. Yeah. Set piece defending. That's a good point. Levante. I will say, I think our good offenses set piece team. I think they do creative things, but just throughout the season, that is one of the areas where I've been a little more nervous and maybe also another sign in terms of preparation, right? Like set pieces are one of those, I don't want to say easy exploits, but inefficiencies in this game where not, it still doesn't get a lot of respect on, and on both ends, you can get goals overperform XG on that side and overperform XG or, you know, deny XG on that end through like creative planning that maybe we're not taking advantage of. And so, yeah, it has been a bit of an issue this season and perhaps, you know, we saw it today in the way we conceded that chance. And also the fact that, as Grant mentioned, it was maybe one of the areas where you would be a little more scared that Atleti would, would double their advantage. You said we'd kind of get back to the handball incident. I don't know whether there's more to say about that, but maybe there is more to say about the refereeing. I normally just don't really like to talk about it. I'm not a huge one to you know, talk about conspiracies. I do not believe that Real Madrid, the most historic successful side in the league, there's this kind of, you know, agenda by the institutional forces to, of all clubs, pick on Real Madrid for some reason that doesn't really clock with me. And, you know, I'm not saying that this game changed my mind, but I will say for people who do believe in that, and, you know, to be fair, it's a lot of Real Madrid fans, just as it is for every fan at every club, right? Like this, it's just what being a fan is really like, you know, always feeling like the rest are against you. If you are that person, this game will just reinforce that belief because the refereeing was pretty bad. And I do think it was bad in favor of Atletico Madrid. There was that instance where it seemed like it was a clear handball. There was another instance where maybe it's a bit more debatable. You could talk about intentionality, but you know, one of the moments we got Jakobsen free on the left, she crosses it in, it bounces off the defender's foot and goes onto her hand. 
seems like to be another clear handball under the current rules of the game that seems like it would be a penalty you know maybe there's one where i feel like a little less agree but that was you know that was an instance where i think the referee seemed a little too certain that nothing you know wrong had happened there and then it's just little things right like atletico madrid clearly knocking the ball out of play atletico madrid get the throwing in one rather hilarious instance cardona just lost it like slapped the ground in frustration at the call you know just those kinds of things throughout the game that in the moment you just kind of see that and you're like well the world is against us right so yeah and there was one more that um there's another penalty shout in the second half where Aslani kind of goes solo. She has an underlapping run from Jakobsen. Jakobsen gets it, plays a nice little cutback to Cardona. And it looks like Guagni, I think is how you pronounce her name, kind of stomps on Cardona. She goes down. It seems as though the Atleti defender got a yellow card, but they didn't give a penalty. I don't know if it was for something off the ball. And this was, again, a tight call, but something that where like it's building up, it's building up. And you see, like you mentioned that Cardona thing. I saw Misa slamming the ball too. Like clearly it got under the skin of the Real Madrid players. And again, I'm not one who thinks conspiracy like Atleti's out of the Champions League places and we need to get them back in. So let's not call penalties. But I do think that we see this in the men's game that a lot of Spanish referees are just subpar. And... I thought that this performance from this referee was very, very bad. So it wasn't an Atleti defender who got a yellow. It was Aslani for complaining for about the penalty. Uh, yeah, I saw that, but it looked like Guagni got a yellow card after that as well. I don't know if maybe they, they went like head-to-head or something, like talking, but I'm – almost certain that an Atleti player got a card out of that situation too. Maybe you're right. I could be mistaken. uh, I'm looking like, you know, Google does the lineups, right? And they like have very kind of rudimentary coverage of the game, but they show the yellow cards. No, no Atleti defender had a yellow card. It was the keeper who got a yellow. Maybe you're talking about that. Yeah, she got it for time wasting, I think. Yeah, and then okay. San Pedro got a yellow, I think, for a challenge. But I don't think there was any lady defender who got a yellow. It was a slide for complaining. That one, I do think it was a fair challenge on Cardona, though the replays weren't particularly great, like not very slow-mo. Um, but I can understand in real time receiving that physical challenge in the box why like you know, everyone was frustrated about that, especially considering you know earlier moments where Real Madrid felt aggrieved. But I do think if there was the one that Real Madrid were going to get back in it. It was the handball in Atleti's box. And then obviously the one where Atleti scored should be caught. Now, having said this, I mean, I don't know if people are doing this, but I think, you know, maybe if you're Osnar and you want to get a little defensive, you can just point to that and be like, well, that's the reason we lost, right? And I, I don't think it's necessarily an amazing excuse, right, to to argue that actually we were the better side or something because I do think we were second best. I do think that Atleti got the better of us. They had the better dynamic in the game, even if they didn't take advantage of it as much in in terms of their final third creation. And this is kind of, you know, regardless of the refereeing decisions, a reason to kind of step back and reevaluate some things. We did some things well, some things consistently throughout the season we haven't. And you know, ignoring, you know, what happened with the refs and certain decisions, it shouldn't be an excuse to to not kind of reflect on that performance. 
I think, in as objective a manner as we can. Because even if we want to talk about the corner goal that Atletico Madrid scored, you can point to the handball, but none of that changes the fact that the defending on that set piece was poor, right? It's not like if you take away that handball, Atletico Madrid suddenly are not in a dangerous position and have a dangerous chance to score. I'm not sure that much changes about that chance, right? You know, maybe Alexandri gets off a shot instead from a slightly farther position rather than it falling to Van Dongen. So I think that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I think we've talked about the refs too far already, too much already, considering that's not our thing. I would just say that I think the refs obviously don't change the game. I think we got outplayed for about 82 minutes and for eight minutes plus we were, we were on par or the better side slightly. I don't think we deserve to win this game, but I do understand how after all of that and the, especially the last few minutes, Real Madrid fans will come out of this thinking that we should have gotten at least a point. I understand that part of fandom. Like they, it looked like we could create chances at the end of the game. And that's going to be the lasting image that we have. But like we've talked about, we, we got outplayed on the day. Let's go into the second half. And I'm not sure how much I have to say personally, you might grant, but I don't have that much new tactical to say, because I said, as I said, Atletico Madrid's press pretty much defined the entire 80 minutes. Not much about it changed in the second half. It was the same thing applied in the same manner you know, maybe a little difference was that Rounder built from the right side a little more, which might have been an Asnar instruction at halftime. Other stuff Asnar did, the substitutes. So this did not last very long. And, you know, maybe, you know, he just never intended it to. And he was always going to keep the 4-3-3. You know, it's also possible that he just wanted to try something different for a few minutes and then change his mind. Whatever the case, Olga Carmona on for Tysa, which... Well, I'll let you go first. What was your reaction to that? I was happy that Olga Carmona was coming on. I was not happy that she was coming on for Tysa. I thought Tysa should have come off, but I thought that, honestly, I thought at halftime, Olga and Teresa should have came on. Now, I think there's a question for who Olga comes on for, whether you want to take off Corridera or whether you want to take off Jakobsen, but I think Teresa needs to come into the midfield I felt like, you know, putting Olga on in a 4-4-2, which is looking like what Asnar wanted to do, was just going to be us sending balls into channels with no real hope or attempt at adjusting what was happening through midfield. Now, obviously, Corridera goes down and Asnar's hand is a bit forced. He moves Olga to left back and on comes Teresa. Who knows if he was planning on doing that? But I think it is not a good look that it took an injury for Teresa to come on. And like I said, he, he he could have been planning to bring her on, but I don't know why you don't bring them both on at the same time. There was an injury? I, I guess this makes me look bad. I completely missed that. Yeah, it looked like Corradera went down and was kind of holding her leg, upper thigh area, and that's why um, Teresa came on. Mm, that might change my perspective then because maybe it was Osnar's intention to just go 4-4-2, Olga on the wings, Jakobsen with Aslani up top the entire game, which it, I guess just makes you wonder what he thought the problem was. I guess he's just like, let's bypass midfield, right? And just pump balls into channels and see how that happens. But 
Atletico Madrid's defensive line were having an extremely impressive game, right? We're talking about Marta Cardona, one of the best dribblers in the league, maybe the best, you know, alongside Caroline Graham Hansen in terms of going in isolation. And she was pretty well handled on that end, right? You know, she was often going one versus two, one versus three, but even when she was one versus one, she was handled well. Aslani, anytime she dropped, was, you know, followed really aggressively by the center back, Sophia Jakobsen, who has the pace advantage against most players, including against Leia Alexandri, was rarely able to get free, you know, going over the top. In fact, she was so eager to create separation that there were many offside decisions, which isn't a new thing with her, but I, I do think with Atleti in particular, she was, you know, seeing that she wasn't able to get as much space as she wanted. And so she was just trying to get every advantage that she could and it was just offside after offside. So I'm not sure that idea necessarily makes sense. It certainly didn't in, you know, the five minutes we saw it, any, nothing came from it. Again, it's only five minutes. So maybe if we stuck with it the entire game, I could be wrong, right? Like, you know, to be fair in terms of an analysis perspective, that's not an adequate sample size to judge it, but just from the theoretical aspect, I'm not sure it makes sense, right? We talked about 4-4-2 versus 4-3-3 previously on this podcast, how originally I thought, and I still do think ideally 4-4-2 is the best for us because of Aslani, but because we just have no idea how to create any kind of superiority without just this natural extra player, the 4-3-3 has made more sense for us. So against a high press, we're already struggling to then move to a double pivot where we have no one between the center backs to me makes even less sense. Then for whatever reason, whether it was the, he intended to bring on Teresa anywhere was, you know, core there is not forcing it five minutes later, 63rd minute, Teresa comes on and we have on an individual level, a much upgraded triangle down the left-hand side in terms of Olga on the left, Teresa, you know, come like kind of like making that triangle infield as a left central midfielder. And yet, I don't know how much you can actually say ball progression improved, right? I think people will point to the 80th minute, 82nd minute around, like suddenly rounders start getting the final third, but that correlates pretty directly with Atleti sitting off their press. And when you make such a big upgrade on an individual level, individual ball playing level, I think that speaks to the fact that it's a collective issue because you should really see a difference in ball progression equivalent to the to the difference in individual quality that you've just exchanged. And we didn't even come close to that, right? So that was an issue, right? Like I, I'm not sure I think it was the, the eventually the right decisions to make. But I, it, it didn't, in my opinion, actually change that much until Atletico Madrid decided to change her defensive strategy. I will ask you, though, again, I don't know how much this changes, but would you have brought Babette Peter off for Claudia Florentino and just, you know, made gone for the full change, gone all in on improving that left-sided ball progression and substituted center back for center back, which is not something managers do unless it's an injury, right? Because there's this thing about not wanting to mess up defensive cohesion in the middle of the game. Yeah, I think that that's tough. For me, I'm not a big proponent, like a lot of managers, of messing with the center back pairing. I thought, you know, I I was a little critical of Peter earlier, but I think overall she had a fine game. Obviously, Claudia Florentino is way better with the ball at her feet. But, you know, if you're trying to make that substitution 
late in the game, I don't really see the point. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think the only way that I would think about taking off a center back in that situation is if you're just sending caution to the wind. You're like, Ivana is just going to clear things up and Misa's going to be off her line and we're just going to send like six attackers forward. I mean, I guess that's the only way I would really do it. I don't know if I would have substituted Claudio Florentino on in this circumstance. So I, I think if you're going to do, I guess, all these subs, you do it at halftime. Not sure why Osnard waited again, what he thought he was going to see in the second half that you know might make him change his mind about future subs. I do fall on the other end of the spectrum. I'm not as... I do think it is a bit of a superstition about taking off central defenders. I'm not sure how much it actually messes up the defensive cohesion. I think we can give players a little more credit, you know, and I'd, I'd actually like to see, you know, some kind of analysis, you know, numbers on how that affects results, because I, I just kind of think it's more of a feeling thing. And, you know, not, not that you do it willy nilly. Right. But especially when to me, there's a clear issue of building out from the back. I think, I think you got to make that change. I think it makes all the sense in the world to, you know, okay, it's a chance creation issue, but it's a chance creation issue because we can't get into the final third. I mean, I don't know, like, if it actually is true that it, like, messes up the defensive cohesion to such an extent that it's just such a massive risk, so maybe I'm wrong here. But I, not that I have the uh, capability to be a manager, but considering this is called Managing Madrid, if I was the manager, I would have just made that full trio of subs on the left-hand side to just completely improve the ball point playing quality there. And yeah. if, if we're talking about building from the back, that starts with the center backs. If you would have told me, hey, if you could have these three subs at halftime, I would have shaken your hand and taken it. I think if we make all those substitutions at halftime and give them a full 45 minutes, I'm completely okay with it. Especially, you know, with the halftime talk to kind of like give time for, you know, Claudia to settle in, you know, give her any final instructions, have Ivana kind of communicate to her, okay, these are some things the attackers are doing, just be aware of it, right? So she just doesn't, you know, come on and she has to kind of like figure out certain tendencies on the fly. I just think that, you know, we talked about a lot of what Real Madrid hasn't done well today in this loss, but I think it is good to see the fight and the passion that was on display. Like you could tell a lot of these players really, really wanted to make a statement with this game, whether it was Cardona getting upset, Misa getting upset. And obviously this can have a negative effect on the team, but I think, you know, this team, despite the tactical deficiencies at times really is good. And they really are fighting to be at that top level. And it looks like they have something to prove. Like I thought Kenty looked like she, she really wanted to make a difference against Atleti. I thought Kasi in the first half was really good. And obviously these are professional athletes and this is expected of them, but how many times have we watched Real Madrid's men's team and they're losing and you're just like, do they care? Are they trying? I think it was, it was good that we showed that fight until the end. That is like the cliche, the spirit of Real Madrid. And, um, you know, there were some some really good performances, some really good individual moments. You know, you can look to those Misa saves and some of the turns might they had, some of the runs some of the attacking players had. I mean, it wasn't a completely negative match. There were, there were some good things to take from this as well. And, you know, we'll get to this kind of at the end of the match. There were some results that 
tipped our way in our favor as well. And uh, we can talk about that later. Speaking of the Real Madrid men's team, Rodrigo, Militao, Marcelo weren't exactly in the stands, but they were like sitting up on these, I don't know what they are, like these like poles or whatever. The little side railing. Yeah, they were sitting on those watching the game through the net, I guess for COVID restrictions. Florentino Perez was in the stands though. Maybe not the best game for them to come and see. I I think he's missing for two, Florentino. I think he did showed he, up did to he two watch matches out? and he's at El Clasico in, in this right, one. So yeah. maybe uh, he can maybe, chill maybe and watch it on TV. Come and watch a game live that's not against the two best teams in the league and see how he perform. So yeah, maybe you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much you can make of it, but I just don't want them to come away thinking like, well, this is, this is just how they play, right? Like, you know, come and watch us against, you know, you know, watch the Volante game. But it was nice to see them come out. I, I definitely hope that when they have the time, they, they can do it more often. I think it probably means a lot to the women's team to see that, but also I think it's just good in general to see them take an interest in, you know, another Real Madrid football team, right? This, you know, the that is their counterpart and you know, they should care about the women's side just as much as the women's team does care about the men's success, right? Like we want both teams to be as good as they can. I do think them coming out and watching sends the right message, you know, and it's kind of an example for, for fans to follow or, you know, just really like an, an encouragement, right? Because it's not like you, you only do this because it's some kind of duty or something, but because, you know, this is, this is another Real Madrid team. It's another Real Madrid team to watch. We're, we're, we've been fun this season, you know, not, not maybe this game, but definitely more fun and more enjoyable than the men's side. And, you know, it's just another great place to get your football fix. Yeah. And, and that is something that you like to see and something that is the right thing to do. And we have the complete opposite of that happen leading into halftime when Real Madrid TV and their Twitch channel split screen to Zidane's press conference for the game against Abar. Now, I was immediately irritated. I talked about irritation at the beginning of the game. We're down 1-0, this happens, and I'm like fuming. It doesn't matter if it's the Champions League final press conference. You should not be interrupting another team's game for it let alone the match against Abar. I mean, I thought this was completely disgraceful. You know, they turn the sound onto the press conference. You can barely see what's going on. This is Real Madrid's women's team playing right now. You cannot split screen with a press conference. The press con- Schedule the press conference for a different time if it's that important to televise it. I do not understand the decision to do that. I've got to think a lot of people when they find out about this are not going to be happy. It's not a good look. Yeah. I mean, it's just fucking disrespectful, right? Especially on like clearly like Florentino Perez trying to like set, you know, an example, like we're, we're, we're invested. We're interested in the women's team. And at the same fucking time, split screen with the game, you know, switch off the audio, right? You can no longer hear the commentary. Turn to Zidane's press conference. They play the full fucking thing, right? Like it goes on for eight minutes to end the half then throughout halftime, right? Like making sure we see the entire thing. Also, we can learn that Vinicius has gastroenteritis and will, you know, not be in the squad versus Avar. Who fucking who? Like we can literally just fucking read about this. 
and it's the Madrid derby. Like, it's a huge game. It, it doesn't matter that it's a huge game and that Real Madrid's playing against Abar. It doesn't matter. But it's, it just adds to, like, why are you doing this? Right, and, you know, Real Madrid TV are never going to televise, you know, a men's game, right? Because that's not how the rights work anymore. But if they did, they, were ne- they would never do this for the men's side. Let's, let's be completely honest here. It would never happen, right? And so... On the one hand, you have Real Madrid with, you know, their transfers, with them making Takan, giving them the crest and everything, fully converting them to the Real Madrid Feminino team, with the players, with the president coming, trying to demonstrate that we take this seriously. You know, this is our team and, you know, let's support them. And then everything on kind of like the production presentation aspect, just giving you the complete opposite image, right? Like, you know, lineups being incorrect at certain points, you know, showing you Zidane's press conference in the middle, like, like to the point where like the handball incident happened in the, in the athletic box. And this, that side of the screen was so small. I couldn't fucking tell whether it was a handball or not. Like I had to go back and see a million replays afterwards and like plant my nose to the screen so I could see what the fuck was happening. We've talked about how poor their website is in certain instances, like the, the inconsistent, you know, times where they tweet out lineups you it's can't just, buy their jersey without customizing it. Right. Like, they, they on the fucking online store, right, they just don't have the jerseys. You know, the, the women's jerseys just aren't there. You literally have to make your own jersey and write out the name. Now, I think in some physical stores, they do have it. But really, like, what is the excuse, right? Like, it's it's just such mixed messaging, right? Like, you can you – can, it's kind of that thing, actions speak louder than words, but it's, like, really just actions speaking louder than other actions, Right, like you can make the grand entrance of showing up for the game, but like when your day-to-day presentation and discussion of a team is just off in so many areas that it looks amateurish, it's hard to take you seriously, guys. And you need to do a better job, right? Like that's all I say about this. Like it's that more than anything soured my mood. Obviously, we lost. I'm never happy when we lose, especially against Atletico Madrid. But that pissed me off more than anything because it's just. It's, it's disrespectful, but like more than anything, it's just terrible way to present the team. It just makes no sense from a marketing perspective, you know, from a viewing perspective. It's just, it's bad. It's stupid, right? And if you want people to like your product, you're actively making them, you know, averse to it. Because like, if, if you come to that and you're like, this is what I'm going to have to deal with every game. Like, what's the fucking point? If I can't watch the action for eight minutes in the second half and I go oh, look for a replay, you know, on, on the Twitch stream and it's just going to have the same thing, you know, wh- why should I watch, right? Like, it's just sending all the wrong messages. So, yeah, I'm pleased Florentino showed up. I'm, I'm pleased, you know, Marcelo and, and whoever else showed up. But to me, that means so little when the day-to-day coverage of the team can be so poor at times. Do better, guys. Do better. You know, we, we're fans of the club. Yeah, we support the club. But we're also here to hold the club accountable to standards we set and, you know, in this area, they've been found wanting basically since Takon was, you know, absorbed to Real Madrid. And, yeah, I mean, they can do so much better. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's get back to the game because we talked about we've, – we've referred to that 10-minute period at the end of the second half quite a bit. Let's discuss it. What happened there? In your opinion, why did Real Madrid start to finally get some danger going around Atletico's box? Yeah, so the first thing that you notice is Dugan comes off for, oh, I can't remember exactly who it was, but it was a defensive-minded player. They took off 
basically one of their strikers, one of their attackers for a more defensive minded player. And I think they sit back a lot and Real Madrid is also gets kind of like a wave of confidence. You sit back, they start getting players on the ball. Might they arose Teresa Abiera are players who are more confident with the ball at their feet. And ultimately they're going to start playing better when they have more touches. So I think this happens. It happens to the whole team. The whole team has momentum building. We create a few half chances, and I think we're basically riding the wave of momentum, some better ball playing with more space, and just you know this drive to try and pull out a result. I don't know if there was anything massively tactical that changed for Real Madrid. I think the that Atleti sits back a little bit, and we prosper because of that. I don't think this was something that Osnar did, but the team did look a lot better when it happened. I think the tactical thing was Atletico Madrid sitting off the pressing for whatever reason that was, whether it was tiredness, fatigue, or just a tactical decision themselves. But once you do that and you allow Real Madrid to get into the middle third and really closer to the box, I think that's when the individual ability really starts to show, especially on that upgrade on the left-hand side. Olga Carmona, I thought, became particularly influential in getting the ball into the opposition half. I think Teresa looked good on the ball. And, yeah, I mean, that's like, when you do that against this Real Madrid side, we have the quality, even if, you know, our approach into the box isn't perfect, right? Even if it's just kind of crosses or whatever, which is what we saw really to mostly end the game. At that point, we have the quality to make something happen, and you're playing with fire a little bit. So if it was fatigue, I understand. If it was a tactical decision, I think Atleti actually made the wrong decision and gave us a chance to get back in the game. And really up until that point, I thought, there's no way we're scoring aside from some kind of like you know absurd handball thing. And we almost did score, right? We got a corner kick that I think it was Bobbitt Peter who got her head to. It was kind of way out. I think when you say it was cleared off the line, that sounds a bit dramatic, like once Bobbitt Peter headed, like got her head to it, I honestly did not have any hope that ball was going in, right? Because the defender was, you know, at, at the near post, moved over and kind of saw it the whole way. But it was still a moment of danger, right? She didn't clear it particularly well. And then Ivana Andres comes in and challenges the keeper. And, you know, it's called for a foul, rightly so, I think. But that was probably our best moment of the game right like which just came from being able to apply continuous pressure on Atletico Madrid and then ending up getting getting on a set piece that you know Atletico Madrid held for maybe where we didn't at the beginning of the half uh, beginning of the first half so that to me was the difference I think once you allow Real Madrid to enter your half more easily you don't really challenge them that's where the individual quality really begins to tell and you know, as good as you can be, as organized as you can be, that's where it's tougher to kind of contend with the fact that Marta Cardona is on one side, Sophie Jakobsen is on the other, you know, Teresa Abira, Maite Rose are playing, Olga Carmona is on the pitch. Like, there's only so much you can do to handle handle them when they get the ball. I think the solution for other teams is to press and ensure that those talented players just don't get on the ball that much. And that's how you kind of contend with this idea of, you know, stopping individual superiority with tactical superiority. Ariane Arias came on for Kosovo Yaslani in that kind of 10-minute period. Didn't really get much on the ball, but I was glad that Osnar trusted her in that moment, you know, to be the player leading the line to 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 get a goal, right? To to save two points. 
that that was good to see. We've talked about maybe like subbing her on earlier. I think her scoring versus Espanol was good for her 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 in terms of status in the team and really like you know with Jessica Martinez you know not being in the squad and really lacking other strikers in general. I think she could be a solid option for us you know moving forward in the season. And she she didn't really do much. She didn't have much of a chance this game given the lack of time. But it was good to me that it seemed like Osnar showed that faith in her. And he was he was willing to kind of ride with her and say, like, you know, go and get me that goal. Yeah, um, I think that, that goal against Espanol made a lot of difference in Osnar's mind. And, you know, she, she's been called up quite a bit this year. So it is a good sign. But it's important that we get her some more minutes, I think whether it be in these kind of situations or whether we get up or she starts against other teams, however it is, because we don't want to stunt that growth. She is really young, but she isn't going to get better just sitting and watching the first team play. We have to work to get her minutes. And I think there is a spot in this, in this squad for her uh, 100%. And I think, you know, hopefully we will, we'll see more of her in big situations. Hopefully she'll get some starts and we'll see her continue to to progress. The only other thing I'd have to say about this game where really I I should have said this much earlier, but I only remembered it now, is to me there was one weakness in what Atletico Madrid were doing, and it came in moments when they weren't pressing, right? Because they're always, you know, due to the fluidity of the game, whether you're reorganizing your shape or players just aren't ready, there are moments where you just won't be pressing in advanced phases. You know, there were like maybe five or six moments of that in the first half. And in those moments, because I think they were had such a pressing mindset, Atletico Madrid's midfield line was too aggressive for me. There, the spaces in between the defense and the midfield were opening up. There was vertical compactness issues there. And you could see Aslani just really purposely dropping deep to kind of take advantage. Well, not dropping deep, but dropping between the lines to try to take advantage of that. She did receive the ball on maybe half those occasions. And, you know, the, the central defenders did really well to step up and dispossess her. But I still think we could have done better to get her the ball in those situations. You could say, yeah, Slani lost it there because the defenders set up. But that, that ha- stepped up. But that happens, right? It's kind of a risky position, you know, receiving on the half turn. It's just that the risk-reward in, in, in those types of situations is so high. You need to play that ball every single time. And who knows? You do it three more times. Aslani, in one of those moments, turns the defender and, you know, maybe plays a through ball to Jakobsen or Cardona on either side. And it is risky. We talk about risk-reward. It's extremely risky from Atletico Madrid's perspective to rely on your central defenders to solve the vertical compactness issue rather than having a midfield there, right? Because you can be turned, and once that happens, the recovery is difficult, and there's space in behind, right? And you have a center back that has to make a decision across basically the entire middle part of the pitch from the center to the half spaces because the wingers are the fullbacks are pinned by the opposite wingers. So that was like the one defensive weakness that I saw in Atletico Madrid that was really kind of more circumstantial when they weren't able to press that I thought we could have taken advantage of. And really that's that's not so much of like a pre-planned thing. Like I don't know how you anticipate that happening, right? It's just kind of moments of, you know, the squad being so in sync, right? And really like you know, having that in-game recognition to look for us line at all times. But as we mentioned before, like that doesn't seem to be a priority. So we only, she only got the ball in those positions a few times and we just weren't decisive enough to try and play the ball to her. And if, if we were going to like, I guess, quote unquote, steal the result, I think it was going to happen in those moments, bar the corner at the end. 
because that was where Atletico Madrid looked a little destabilized and their structure was a bit wonky. So didn't happen very often, kind of a small thing, but just wanted to add it on there at the end because that's kind of the last thing I have to say about this game. Grant, do you have any other kind of stuff you want to mention? Yeah, I just want to look kind of at the Primera Iberdrola table now because there are a couple big results today. Granadilla drew with Huelva. Sociedad also drew. And if you look at it, Barcelona with you know a couple games in hand have 27 points. Granadilla now has 27 points. Real Madrid is in third place with 25. Atleti is in fourth with 24. And Sociedad has 23. We have a pretty tough schedule coming up with 12 on Tuesday. Uh, Madrid, CFF coming up. And then Real Sociedad. But so does Atleti. They, they play Sociedad in their next match. So this is going to be a really important section of the season. We're going to have to bounce back. But, you know... It is a positive that we we still are ahead of Atleti. We're still in those positions. And also, Granadilla drops points, so we kind of get within striking distance of second place. Yeah, another Madrid derby coming up versus Madrid CFF. We are still ahead of Atletico Madrid, but what this tells us is still a lot of work to do. And like this race for the Champions League spots are nowhere near decided, right? It goes from us, you know, maybe being what was it, seven points ahead of Atleti to just being one point ahead of them. So just a huge six-point swing. And we've we had a good run-up to this point, right? Like five wins in our last five before facing Atleti. We just got to constantly keep this momentum. The battle at the top is extremely congested, as you just outlined, Grant. Like all the teams that are kind of up there with us, we got to find a way to keep the momentum going. And you know, maybe there's, you know, an argument to be made that there was some overreaction to Atletico Madrid's recent form coming into this game, right? Losing and then, you know, drawing before this. But, you know, before those games, it was pretty much par for the course for Atleti with them, I think, drawing Granadilla. And Granadilla has been really good this season. So, you know, there's a real chance after this game for Atletico Madrid to prove that, you know, despite losing Kenti, despite losing Angela Sosa, despite making a bunch of new signings, that was just a blip, right? That's not the real Atletico. And, you know, it's going to be back on track for us because it's only 12 games into the season. And, you know, it's hard to say that what we saw before is a trend and that really, you know, something's wrong with them. You know, on the other hand, Real Madrid will want to prove that what happened, you know, in these games up until this point wasn't a blip either. And actually we're, we're this good and that we can continue to get better and maintain it. So it's just, it's all about maintaining you know, on Real Madrid's side, what's been happening in Atletico Madrid side, kind of like, you know, turning things around and saying that what happened, you know, wasn't quote unquote real. So yeah, it's nowhere near finished, right? Like I, I do feel good about Real Madrid's chances of qualifying for, qualifying for the Champions League, but it's extremely possible at this point that, you know, we're maybe not even in the top six at all because that's how tight it is, right? The only thing that's decided is Barcelona is going to win the league basically we have to maintain this but we also need to start being able to get results against these top three teams because our three losses have come against Atleti Barcelona obviously and I mean there's not much you can do about that one and Granadilla and I think there's an argument to be made that we kind of shot ourselves in the foot for the Granadilla loss and the Atleti loss so we need to tighten up in those big games. But other than that, maintain this form, continue how we've been going. I mean, it's still, it's, there's a lot of season left, but it's promising. 
it's promising. And despite the issues we mentioned, we still have managed to roll the season and be exciting and get results. And, you know, I hope at some point we can stop saying despite certain issues and just kind of like fully embrace like the way we've been playing. But there's a reason we've been pointing it out. And as you can see, like in this particular game, it's not just, you know, random nitpicking. You know, it it does have an impact on the way we play, especially, you know, against the better teams. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see how this game changes anything, if any. I think at this point, 12 games in is as good a time as any to kind of reflect on what's worked and what hasn't, because there's certainly been plenty of both. And yeah, move forward and, and do everything we can to secure that Champions League spot, which looks very possible at this point in time. You know, when at the beginning of the season, we're talking about like basically placing third was best case scenario for Real Madrid. And I I still think that's kind of the case. But, you know, I'm sure this team in their minds are like second place. Right. If they're not also shooting for the title, you know, based on their ambition. It's good to see, despite this loss, where we are right now, we have a lot of hope for the future. And yeah, I mean, that's it for us. Right. Grant, you don't have anything more to say? No, we go again on Tuesday, I think. Right, go again on Tuesday, and we we will cover that if if it is televised, which you know I think it is, and yeah, and and we'll just do what we always do. Immediate reaction is up for those who are interested on just kind of like my initial take on the game, kind of as a match recap. Grant will have player ratings done whenever, and then also look out for the uh, tactical. I don't know if it's going to be like a series of tweets or just one, but either thread or tweet on Atletico Madrid's pressing versus our build-up kind of tactical analysis. And yeah, that should be kind of it for our coverage for this game, and it's just on to the next one. So thank you everyone for being with us for this one, and Ala Madrid. Ala Madrid.